Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Genesis chapter 43, verse 1. We're still dealing with the famine in Egypt. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully. Now notice. The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father alive and do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Now notice, remember how I taught you the other day? You ask questions. To verify truth. You know, one of the things I have had to learn in life, and I'm not very good at it. I'm not good at being distrusting. But one of the things I've had to learn in life is people will look at you and open their eyes wide and tell you bold-faced lies. And so you have to learn to question people. Just because something says something doesn't make it true. And some people think the bigger they tell the lie, the people will believe at least a piece of it. Remember the old worldly wisdom, where there's smoke, there's fire. And you know what? Sometimes there's where there's smoke, there's no fire. There's, there's just vain imaginations and lies. So sometimes you have to learn to question people. When they say something, say, now, why do you say that? Well, why did that person do that? Well, how did you respond? You, know, you start asking three, four, five levels of questions, and all of a sudden, the stories begin to break down. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge to his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not been delayed, we would now have returned twice. So this was a long delay, a long delay. Then their father said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, Pistachio nuts and almonds. Now, all right. A gift given in secret. Proverbs says a gift given in secret soothes wrath. Okay. Take double the money with you. All right. Oh, be careful. Prepare for what if. Now, why would, would Jacob say, take double the money? Because, you know, sometimes Jacob knows that sometimes maybe assistants make mistakes. And because they made a mistake, they would practice CYOB, cover your own butt, and blame the boys for taking the money and stealing the money. So he says, all right, let's, let's have a gift. This is, we're going to have number one, we're going to have a gift. And number two, we're going to prepare. Perhaps it was an oversight. He said, let's, let's, prepare for, let's prepare for problems. Now, now, here's some great truth you've got to see here, brothers and sisters. When you walk into a situation and you see that there has been some anger, the gift is nice. It opens hearts. You thought of somebody. You have something that they don't have, okay? You, they don't have honey. They don't have gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds. Take some of this with you. The land was still growing those. Take some of these as a gift. Maybe that's something they don't have there. So do something unique as a gift. Gifts open hearts. And prepare for oversights. Prepare for what-if situations. These are very important principles to learn. May God Almighty grant you mercy before this man. All right, the third thing is prayer. May God Almighty grant you mercy before this man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. As for me, I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, there's the one, took double the money, number two, and took the requirement, 
okay? Now, that's an important one. And really, we might want to make this number four, okay? This would be number four. Take the requirement with you. Don't, don't go out there and try to renegotiate. Take the requirement with you. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make it ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they'd been brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall on us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. All right, so they're afraid. Okay. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. But when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our, our money in full weight. So we have brought it with us again. All right. So, OK, let's let's make sure. No problems. Make sure there's no misunderstandings. We have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He said, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God and the God of your father, has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now, your God and the God of your father. Is that interesting? Joseph, we're beginning to give them hints. And when the man who had brought, into Joseph's, brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon when they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about their welfare. And he said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, controlling himself. He said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for it is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now notice extreme prejudice. Now, please, please don't just blow by this. Extreme prejudice. They would not even sit at a table and eat with Joseph because he's a Hebrew. And he was number two in the kingdom. Now, this is the truth I want you to see. Joseph came to this high exalted position because God was with him in the face of extreme prejudice. Now, you need to think about that. Some of you living in Singapore, some of you living in the Middle East, some of you living in the West, in Australia, you, you face prejudice. And sometimes you think there's a ceiling that people will not allow me to rise above because of the prejudice against me, because I'm Pinoy. Excuse me. There is probably very little prejudice in the world that is as overt and as right in your face that's what Joseph lived with every day. But he rose to be number two in the greatest empire of the world because God was with him. God with him still brought promotion. God with him. Ah, you can meditate on that for a while today and Quit being discouraged because you face some prejudice. You know, you can either be a victor or have victim mentality. I choose to walk in victory. How about you? Will you choose to walk in victory? Will you face the prejudice all around you? And rather than get all discouraged and victim mentality, will you rise up and go, you know what? If God is with me, 
If God is with me, then just like Joseph of old, no prejudice in this world will hold me down from my destiny. Ah. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at each other in amazement. Portions were taken of them from Joseph's table, okay, not, not from the other Egyptian's table, from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them. Now, the signs were there for them to see. Okay, the signs were there for them to see. One servant talks to them about their God and the God of their fathers. Joseph being so concerned about their father and a younger son. How he treats the younger son. The emotions that they would have seen across his face before he excused himself from the room. Being served from Joseph's table, the youngest son's portion five times as many as theirs. They should have seen there's something going on here, and they should have seen that Joseph was an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. Now, maybe in their minds, they would have interpreted it as, well, he's the big shot, so he eats by himself. So maybe they could interpret it that way. But what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes when you're in the middle of a situation that you do not understand, open up your eyes and look for clues. Look for details. Chapter 44, verse 1. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of a sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. When they had gone only a short distance from the city, now Joseph said to his steward, oh, Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When they overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your service to do such a thing. And behold, the money that we found in the mouth of the sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How could we then steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we will also be my Lord's servants. And he said, Let it be as you say. Okay, now, <laughs> watch your words. Now, brothers and sisters, do you remember how I taught you earlier about watching your words? When Jacob and Jacob's wife had stolen the gods from beyond the river, the idols of her father, and Jacob didn't watch his words. Now, Joseph, the same sons, Jacob's sons, practice the same sin as Joseph challenges them. They don't watch their words. Be very, very careful when people accuse you of things, because you never know when people have planted things. You know, it's one thing to be completely innocent. It's another thing to prove that innocence. Well, Pastor Summerall, the government says we're innocent until proven guilty. Well, you know, I've been your pastor a long time, and I've watched church members lose their jobs because somebody planted evidence in their desk planted evidence places. You have to learn to not be quite as naive. So watch your words when people make accusations against you because sometimes they make accusations against you because they know exactly what they did. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. They didn't go back home. No, they, they went back because Joseph's younger brother's involved. Benjamin's involved. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Now, there's some of those question marks, all right? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? Or what shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are the Lord's servant, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. God has found out the guilt. Now notice. Old guilt. 
They still blame the sins of their past for the problems of their present. See, guilt is a funny thing. Guilt will always find a reason that why, you know, you deserve this that is happening to you. <laughs> That's how guilt acts. But he said, far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found should be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O Lord, my Lord, please let, let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. All right. Um, learn to be polite and respectful. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, the father would die. Then he said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to our, your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes, if our younger brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Notice, life in exchange. Life, I say life in FX in my notes. Life in exchange. He said, I will stay and the boy can go home. Now, we're going to see tomorrow how drastically this affected Joseph's life. Because he saw, you know what? Maybe these guys have changed. Maybe these guys have changed. One of my brothers is willing to give up his life for my baby brother. Maybe my brothers have changed. All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Children. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 14. Now remember the context, they've been on the Mount of Transfiguration, and three of the apostles, the inner court, the inner circle, so to speak, have been with Jesus, and they come back down to the other nine apostles. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire, and he falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Now, they could not heal him. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, first of all, this is demon possession. We see this in verse 18. Now, notice how destructive demon possession is. We see demon possession manifested by Caesars, suffering terribly, and self-destructiveness, okay? So, seizures, terrible suffering, and self-destructiveness. Now, you know, people don't just walk around falling into the fire. People don't just walk around falling into the water. This is self-destructiveness. See, there's something weird about demons, all right? They cannot just cohabitate a body. They have to destroy the body. And this is one of the things you have to understand. People always think about long-term demon possession and the people all look completely normal and completely wonderful 
and demons can cohabitate inside a human body and cohabitate with humans and there's not much problem. No, 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 no. Demons are destructive. They only come to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you see demon possession, you're going to see suffering and seizures. You're going to see self-destructiveness. You're not going to see long-term cohabitation and they look all wonderful and beautiful and present themselves well. But now notice misplaced faith. This is a great problem when it comes to miracles. This is a miracles issue. When you come to a pastor for, for healing, a pastor is not a source. See, there's a difference between, let's look at it like this. Pastors, and let's, let's include the apostles there, okay? Pastors are a source. Excuse me, let's get this over here a little bigger. Pastors are not a source. Pastors are a conduit. Jesus is the healer, not the apostles, not the disciples. Jesus is the healer. Now, you, you've got to start getting an understanding of that. Conduit, if I can get it to work. Jesus is the healer. As pastors, as apostles, as disciples, we, we can't heal anybody. There is no inherent power within us. It is Jesus who does the miracles. And so sometimes when people walk up to me and say, Pastor, please heal me, I, I can't heal you. That's misplaced faith. You're, you're putting your faith in a person. And this was a problem with this man. He, he put his faith in the disciples rather than put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus... Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation. He, he looks at his generation and says, there's two things about my generation. So this is the Jesus generation. It's a great study. If you wanted to just look up the word gen generation as Jesus uses it, just go through the Gospels and see the characteristics of Jesus's generation that he ministered in. Here's two more characteristics to add to the list. Faithless and twisted. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear up with you? <laughs> How long am I supposed to put up with this? Bring him here to me. All right, now Jesus is the source. Bring him to me. Don't bring him to Peter. Don't bring him to Thomas. Don't bring him to Matthew. Bring him to me. Jesus is the source. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples, now that's one of the beautiful things about sickness caused by demons. As soon as the demon is gone, everything's gone. It's instant. There's no, there's no recovery. It's instant. All right, now, now you got to get a hold of that. There are people who are sick because of biological reasons, and oftentimes when they're healed, they, they recover. We lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. But there are other people that are sick because of a demon. And you see this more in crusades and things rather than in church. When the demons are cast out, that is instant. Then G, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? All right, so here's private lessons. And this is another great study to go through the Gospels. Study what I call the private lessons of Jesus. Why could we not cast it out? Why did it work? He said to them, because of your little faith. All right, so it takes faith to cast out demons. Now, what is faith? Faith in God. Okay, faith, faith is not like a big glass of water. Okay, I have water. You can't walk. I have faith. Faith in God. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, like a grain of mustard seed, even just a little bit, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. All right, so 
quantity never the issue. So, little faith is not so much the issue, it's having faith. If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, the smallest seed, I have some of those in my little Israel micro museum. And I look at those bottles once in a while and go, you know, if I had faith just as little as that mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for me. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So here is a second warning. Now, one of the things you might want to do is go through and make a list of the warnings of Jesus' death. And you wonder, as many times as he told them, why were they so shocked at the events of Jerusalem? He told them so many times. And why were they not, you know, when you look at all of the warnings, and he will be, not he might be, he will be. When you look at all the times Jesus told them that he would rise on the third day, why were they in Jerusalem? Why were they not out there on the third day, sitting outside the tomb, waiting in expectation? <laughs> we'll get to that later. But with all those warnings, when they came to Capernaum, we've been there many times with you, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, this is the temple tax, all right? This is for the maintenance of the temple. This is not a, a Roman government tax, and this is not a tithe. This is something that every Jewish person paid to maintain the temple. And he said, yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first. Okay. Uh, Jesus knew what had happened. Okay. So Jesus knew. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And he said, from others. And Jesus said, then the sons are free. Yes. So he said, Peter, you answered for me thinking that you were defending me. But what you said was not true. Now, now Peter's heart is good, okay? So here we have a, a good heart, but bad head. Okay, a good heart, but a bad head. Peter's defending Jesus. Oh, yes, he does the right thing. But Jesus said, I'm the son of God. It's my house. But Jesus said, not to give an offense to them. All right, now, Jesus did things to not offend. Even when unneeded. You know, there are things that you have to learn to do as a leader. Just because you don't want to offend people. Now, we're, we're going to, as leaders, you offend people enough already. All right? I mean, please, you teach the truth of God's word and you're going to offend people. All right? I mean, that's just, that's just life. But notice Jesus said, Let, let's not give an offense to these people. There's no reason. Go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Now, this is simply a tilapia. A tilapia is St. Peter's fish. It is a mouth breeder. In other words, it keeps its babies in its mouth. And it likes to pick up little stones or little shiny objects and keep it in its mouth when it doesn't have babies. So Jesus told Peter, don't go cast a net. I know you're a fisherman. I know you're really good with a net. He said, I want you to be very inefficient, okay? <laughs> cast a hook. Not efficient, okay? This, this is not about producing enough fish to pay the two drachma tax, okay? This is not about catching enough fish to pay this bill. This is not about works. This is about a miracle. He said, so just take a hook and throw it in and take the first fish that comes up, open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, my, my first question is, what about the other apostles? <laughs> Peter, you know, you were trying to do a good thing, so I'm going to cover your tax too. 
but we're going to cover this by a miracle. We're not going to cover this by hard work. We're going to cover this bill by a miracle. We're going to overcome a perceived offense by a miracle. Now, there's a whole sermon in that, and I don't dare get into it. Chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, okay, unless you turn, turn around and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, have you ever noticed that children are very humble? Arrogance is something that they learn in life, but children are pretty humble. Children suffer well. They, they, they always blame themselves for everything. They, you know, young people can be so mistreated and they never say a word because, you know, they're just taught to take it. Now, you, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses to this principle. Whoever humbles himself like this child, just, he said, this child, just let me grab him and use him as an illustration. Children are just used to obeying is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So when you, you, you do something beautiful for a child in Jesus's name, you receive Jesus. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck than to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Why? Because long-term life patterns are set. This is why as a church, it's so important who we have in the youth department and who we have in a children's department. And this is why we have to be very strong about removing people sometimes. Because if you get a pedophile, or if you get a homosexual, or if you get a sexual pervert, or if you get someone who just doesn't care about young people and just mistreats them because, you know, it's really easy to mistreat young people because they suffer in silence. But when people do that, See, they are a cause, a cause. When, when somebody gets a hold of young people and children and causes them to sin, yea, even teaches them to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. In other words, you've done this to kids you've got a real hard life ahead. It's better for you just to have somebody put a big stone around your neck, throw you into the water and drown you because you've got a hard life ahead. And that's a promise of God. I mean, that is a promise of God. So, you know, as a church, let's be very careful. And, young, and parents, you need to ask your children from time to time, how are they being treated in school? You know, is the teacher doing anything? Is the teacher teaching them wrong things? How are you being, you know, treated? How is the being treated in church? How are the kids treated in church? How are the kids treated in youth services? You know, and, and you need to talk to your children to make sure you understand what's going on. Because you know what? There are people that go along and they can get away with it for a while because children, children and young people are easy to keep silent. They really are easy to keep silent. So parents, we have to stay involved with our kids. I can remember my daughter going to school one time and coming home and telling me a horrible story about something they were taught in class. I went to the school and I said, excuse me, why is this being taught to eighth graders? Well, why would such a thing be taught to eighth graders? And, you know, I, I, I was furious. Parents, stay involved in the lives of your children. And these people who cause them to sin, they got a hard road ahead. Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom those temptations come. All right? So the source. Now, you know what? There's going to be people that will bring temptation to your life. Okay, now this is a reality. 
There are going to be people who bring temptation to your life. Young people, there are going to be people who encourage you to go to clubs. There are going to be people who encourage you to have secret courtships and secret ons and just hide it from people at church. There, there are going to be, in fact, some of them may even be Christians. There will be people who will tempt you to smoke marijuana. They will bring temptations, teach you to start drinking. You never will have drunk in your life. And, you know, you'll be with a friend and your friend will tempt you to do this. Ah, oh, come on. Aren't you a man? Come on. And it's your first drink. They'll tempt you to start smoking. You know, I can still remember as a young boy, my first cigarette. You, you don't forget it. And it's not because it was a good experience, because you coughed the whole way through it. Your body did not want this. You had to hurt your lungs for a while with some smoke before they got used to it. You had to bring some destruction first, all right? But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now, you know what? There's a lot of stuff where the world goes around and even the Christian community goes around and says, oh, you can do this and you can do that. And it's okay to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. You, you need to see if you can do it together. You need to see if you're compatible. You, you, need to go, you need to go to the clubs and live a little bit. You need to do this. You need to do that. And they're Christians. Look at that passage. Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Woe to the one. Woe to the one. Jesus said, it's going to be a hard life for these people. And if your foot or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than two hands and two feet and thrown into eternal fire. Now, he's not literally saying cut off your hand and cut off your foot. He's saying, listen, you need to cut off things. You need to cut off things that cause you to sin. Now, notice, cause you to sin through whom the temptation comes, cause you, the things that cause you to sin. If there are relationships that cause you to sin, you need to cut that relationship off. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Okay, now notice. Hell is real. And you know what? Some young Christians, you don't act like hell is real. The fires of hell are real. Eternal punishment is real. So things that bring temptation to your life, remove them from your life. You know, I looked at a young man one time and he talked to me and he said, you know, pastor, I don't know what to do. My girlfriend's a Christian, but she's from another church. And pastor, she always wants to have sex with me. And he said, you know, we've come close a couple of times, but I was able to stop. But he said, I don't know if I'll be able to stop again in the future. He said, she says that her pastor says it's all right, as long as we love each other. And I said, he said, what do I do? I said, walk away and never lay eyes on her again. But I love her, pastor. I said, no, you lust her. You lust her. I said, and I took him to this passage and I said, young man, one day you will thank me for this because I'm saving you from a world of hurt. And he looked at me and at first he didn't do it. But about a week later, he came to me and he said, pastor, I broke up with her. I don't ever want to see her again. About a year later, he had the most wonderful girlfriend, married, have three or four kids today. Everybody is happy. Not too long ago, he walked up to me and it was just the two of us. It was before lockdown. He said, Pastor, I want to say thank you. I said, for what? What did I do? I'd totally forgotten all of this. And he reminded me. He said, Pastor, that was the hardest thing I ever did. He said, but by removing what was wrong in my life, he said, God could bring what was good for my life. And he said, I look at my wife every day. And he said, God has been good to me. And I thought, Lord, yeah, he got it. There are things that need to be removed from our lives that bring temptation to us, especially relationships. And if we remove them, life becomes nicer. All right. One last thing we always do on morning devotions is spend a little bit of time in Proverbs for just a little bit of wisdom. Now, I want you to see something here. I made a little note earlier. I want you to see 
Whoops. Solomon had seen some things. Now, not only did Solomon learn some beautiful things from his father, King David, and from his mother Bathsheba, but Solomon had seen some things. Now, listen to what he says. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. New Living Translation. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. All right? Everything flows from it. Your destiny, your desires, everything flows from it. So he said, listen, you need to guard your heart. You know, be careful what you let into your heart. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you see. You know, remember the little song, Be Careful Little Eyes, What You See? Okay, the little kids' church song. You got to be careful what you listen to and what you look at. That's how things get into your heart. So, you know, there are TV shows you just don't need to see. There are, uh, are songs and things you don't need to listen to. There are jokes and there are words and there are stories that you just don't need to listen to. You don't need that in your heart. And then he says, put away from you. Put away. Number one crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. He said, now listen, crooked speech, okay? Crooked speech, put it far from you. S speech that is not straight. You know, you, 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 you move things around a little bit. Put away from you crooked speech. You're not telling the whole story. Put devious talk far from you. Now, a devious talk, that's like two-hearted talk, okay? Put devious talk far from you. Now, straight up. Facebook. There's a lot of things on Facebook you shouldn't be paying attention to, and a lot of people on Facebook that you should block because it's crooked speech, it's devious talk. Well, I just wanted to see what they were saying. Yeah, but... He, he didn't say, go see what they're saying. He said, put it far away from you. Put it far from you. D don't have this stuff around you. You don't want this kind of talk around you. Let your eyes look directly before you, directly forward. And let your gaze be straight before you. Okay, now, <laughs> not looking around. Don't, don't be looking around. Straight before you. Ponder. Think about the path of your feet. Think about the direction you're going. Think about where you are going. All right. If I make this decision, where will it take me? If I choose to read this, what will it do in my heart? If I choose to go to this place, how will that affect the future of my life? Think about the path of your feet. Think about what you're doing and where it's taking you. Then all your ways will be sure. In other words, the thing that makes your life secure, safe. A safe life is a thoughtful life. A safe life. Stay on the safe path. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Now, a safe life is a thoughtful life. You're thinking about your actions. You're thinking about your, what you're reading. You're thinking about what you're doing. You're thinking about what you're listening to. And always asking yourself the question, where is this taking my life? For remember, <laughs> out of it, flow the springs of life or the wellsprings of life. Now, let, let me just challenge all of you. There's a thousand little things that we do every day. Are you living thoughtfully? I know everybody wants to talk about the purpose-filled life, the purposeful life. 
Well, forgive me, I would not say I want to live a purposeful life. I would say I want to live a thoughtful life. I want to think about my actions. I want to think about the direction my decisions are taking me. Learn to live a thought-filled life. You're always thinking about where is this taking me? See, in one sense, life is like a chess game. Now, I haven't played chess in years and years, but I used to love chess when I was young. I started with my grandpa with checkers, and then we went to chess. And I, I've always loved chess because chess makes you think 10 moves ahead. Chess makes you think, all right, if he does this, I'm going to do this. If he does this, I'm Chess makes you constantly be thinking about the options and strategies and, and thinking 10 steps ahead. That is life. You cannot live life like a, like a checkers game. You have to live life like a chess game. You have to have, live life always thinking 10 steps ahead. If I do this, what are the consequences? Am I willing to go through those consequences to achieve that goal? If I do this, how will that affect the goals that God has laid out of my life? Live a thoughtful life. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot from evil. Not get close. Now, my grandfather taught me this lesson. Now, again, we lived in the barrio, and there was lots of cows around. He said, Davey, have you ever noticed that you can have a cow, and you guys know I cannot draw, so this is a cow, all right? Have you always noticed that the grass, say, Pastor, you draw like a two-year-old, probably. My mama got all the artistic genes, okay? The grass is greener. And so you'll, you'll see a, a cow come right up to the edge and stick their way through. Now, they, they stay on this side because of the barbed wire, but they get as close as they can over here to crossing the line. My grandpa said, Davey, don't be like that. Don't see how close you can get to the line and not cross over. See how far you can stay away from the line. And you know what? That has led my life in good stead. See how far. How close can I get to drinking but not get drunk? I just stay completely away from it. How close can I get to this and not fall in? I don't try to see how close I can get. I like to live a safe life. I stay as far away. Avoid the very appearance of evil, as the scripture says. Turn your foot away from evil. Not, not toward it and see how close, but turn your foot away from me. All right. Great wisdom as we close out today. We'll see you tonight, evening service, as we get back into intercessory prayer, 7 o'clock. See you then.